if you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Haggai. If you're wondering where Haggai is, yes, it is in the Bible. Haggai is right next to Zechariah, if that doesn't help you. Zechariah is right next to Malachi. And then, of course, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I hope in this message that I have this morning, maybe we can put together uh, three or four books of the Bible that you can just maybe lock in your notes and, and lock in your mind that you'll see they all fit together. Okay? And that's Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah. Those four books belong together. Okay, now they're not right next to each other. Now, Haggai and Zechariah are. But I want you to kind of lock that in your mind from a historical standpoint. These books belong together. They all have to do with the same time frame and a lot of the same happenings that are going on. And as we near the end, I can't believe it, we near the end of our servant series, as we are soon to reach the greatest servant of all time, we have one more before we get to that greatest servant of all time, who still is the greatest servant of all time. Today we consider a man who has a funny name. His name is Zerubbabel. And he is known as my servant, the builder. My servant, the builder. And he is one of these ten in the scripture that God refers to specifically from his own mouth as my servant. And I hope through the course of what we've been doing here in the servant series that we understand this is not just some tangent that Brother Tim decides, you know, I think I'll preach about this. I feel burden of the Lord to share these characteristics of the servants of God who are called servants it to, in order for us to incorporate characteristics like this in our lives. And we'll see here this morning, I hope, as my servant, the builder, is so relevant, maybe possibly, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the greatest servant of all, maybe the most relevant servant that we've looked at. My servant, the builder. Haggai 2 and verse 23. We're going to get the text. And then if you want my outline of how these fit together, I would be more than happy to share them with you. Because it's a very interesting read when you see how the time frames and all of these things fit together. Haggai 2 and 23. Let's read. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, you hear that? The son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Can we say throughout the servant series, one common factor among all of these servants as we see over and over, the Lord has chosen these people. So if you're going to learn, if you don't learn anything from the servant series, you'll find that it's not the goodness of Abraham or the worth of Abraham or the, or the valuable um, asset that Job was or Eliakim or any of the others that we've looked at, Isaiah. It was not that they had some in, inherent worth. Their worth was made, brought to the forefront because God chose them. You see, their worth was the choosing of God. In their lives. God chose Abraham. God chose Job. God chose Eliakim. He chose Isaiah. He chose David. Remember he said I took David from the sheep coat. He was just a little boy out there keeping his father's sheep. The worth of these servants. And don't you ever forget this. If you're going to be a servant of God. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ. You'll be tempted to think. Well you know I'm just a pretty good person. I've got all this about me. I'm all that. I've just got it going on. Look at me. 
You will never be a a disciple, an effective disciple, if that's your attitude. You will be an effective disciple, however, if you see you have no value in your own eyes. Those are the people that God uses. See? Because in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. The way down is up. You think a lot of yourself. You can't be a servant of God. You think very little of yourself, but you think a lot of the Lord. And guess what? You're on the road to servanthood, to discipleship. God says, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. Now, I told you, here are the, chap- here are the books that go together. Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, and um, Zechariah. You could fit a couple other books in there, but these primarily go together. So let's turn back over before the book of Job and look at Ezra. And I want you to see, we're going to do some scripture reading this morning, but I want you to see how these tie together. I want you to see what's going on. God says, my servant Zerubbabel. Now, who in the world was Zerubbabel? Okay, very short history lesson. <laughs> and we've, by the way, we've been going chronologically from the days of Job all the way down to the days of David, down to uh, the days of Eliakim and Isaiah. And now we are in the time of the captivity. Whenever the children of Israel, the Lord, because He was so um, outdone with their disobedience and the things they were doing, we've talked about those things, they were national problems that they had. The children, the children of Israel were not worshiping the way God wanted them to. He, they were not living the way that God wanted them to. And so the Lord said, you're going into captivity for 70 years. Jerusalem is destroyed. It is leveled. The city that's over there today, where there is a Jerusalem today, In this time, it was leveled, and foxes and wolves and lions and such and, and birds and buzzards lived in this area. The temple, Solomon's beautiful temple that he built with the supply that David, his father, set up for him, stored up for him in his days, it was leveled, gone. You think if you showed up to church next Sunday morning... And you, you stood here in this church building, which we understand, you know, the building is the building. You are the church. But still, you associate this place with worshiping God. But you are the worshipers. You are the church. You are the body, not the building. But still, those of you that have especially that have grown up in this building, <laughs> and you showed up and it was leveled. It had burned down. You would feel at a loss. What are we going to do? Well, don't worry. Don't worry. You're just going to come over to my house and worship in my den or in my yard. <laughs> That's how great being an old Baptist is. You don't have to worry about the building if it is destroyed. But in these days, the temple was the focal point where God came into that building and His presence was there from time to time. So when you looked and you saw the temple was destroyed, this this was overwhelming. And yet God through the prophet Jeremiah, God through the prophet Daniel, God through those different prophets that preached, Ezekiel, those guys, He said, you're going to go back. 70 years, you're going to go back. This is that time. This is the rebuilding time. This is why Zerubbabel is known as the builder, the servant, the builder. Because there's nothing in Jerusalem that resembles anything of what it used to be. The temple is gone. All you can see is the stones that were in the ground where they had wiped it out. They didn't take a bulldozer because they didn't have bulldozers. But they took men with rams and also with, uh, with huge timbers. And they took battering rams and they knocked down everything. They knocked the walls down. They burned the houses. We read about that uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. They burned the houses down. The place is devastated. And God says in Ezra, the first chapter, listen to the language. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. This is not a Jewish man, you understand? This is seven or eight hundred miles away from where Jerusalem is. And the Lord stirred up this political leader, this dictator, this emperor, this king, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. Listen to what he says. This is the highest power on the face of the earth at this time. The highest power. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he, the Lord God, hath charged me, that's Cyrus, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, think about the three or four great world powers today. <laughs> How would it be if the great world, the leaders of the great world powers issued a decree like this and said, the Lord has charged me to, to look favorably upon the people of God. This is a monumental event taking place here. The king of kings on the earth at that time, prior to Jesus coming and establishing himself as the visible king of kings as he did when he came uh, years later. But this is the king of kings at the time. This is the man right here. <laughs> he issues a decree and he says, the Lord has charged me to build a house in Jerusalem. Don't you know that was a relief? But by the way, just a little, little side note, the people of Israel, the, the, the Jews were not surprised because God had said, you say, well, I don't know if we can trust the scripture. God had said 200 years before by the mouth of Isaiah, a man named Cyrus would say, go back and build the house of God. <laughs> you can trust the word of God. So Cyrus says, the Lord has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of God of Israel. He, in parentheses, it says, he is the God. <laughs> That's something, isn't it? Which is in Jerusalem. This is a pagan king. <laughs> then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all them whose spirit had, God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 7, also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem when he had leveled Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Sheshbazar is none other than the Chaldaic name for, you guessed it, my servant Zerubbabel. It's the same guy. Not only are the people of God going back to build the house of God, but they're taking the, the utensils and the cups and the bowls and the spoons, those things that were used in the house of God 70 years before and, and hundreds of years before that, Nebuchadnezzar comes, destroys the temple, but by God's decree, he takes even the utensil. He takes the silverware out of the temple and takes it to Babylon. You Bible readers will probably think of the days of Belshazzar. I think that was his name. The old king who saw the handwriting on the wall. You remember that? You know why he saw that handwriting on the wall saying, Thou has been, you have been weighed and you are judged? It's because he was desecrating these utensils, the silverware. <laughs> We've all got, uh, if, you're, if you're married, you know, you've got that, that uh, common man set of dishes. And then you've got that special set. We've got a special set that we haven't used since 1996 or seven. I, I'm just kidding. We probably have. I'm sorry, Sister Trace. She's looking at me right now. I can't look at her. We've probably used it a time or two. These are utensils. These are the special china 
that was in the house of God, that was in the presence of God when God would come down and dwell in the temple. God's even sending the silverware back. (laughs) I find that humorous. So the treasurer of Babylon says, okay, we've got all this accounted for. And by the way, this is this is 70-something years before, 75, 80 years before. He said, we got all this accounted for. Here's this cup, here's this fork, here's this dish, here's this cup, here's this candelabra. Take this with you, Zerubbabel. And when you get it built, that's the stuff that goes in there. They didn't even have to make that stuff again. Don't tell me the Lord doesn't care how we worship him. <laughs> and so it says that Sheshbazar, Zerubbabel, the prince of Judah, he takes these things back. And I want you to notice uh, in Ezra, the third chapter, if you're in Ezra, turn to the third chapter, because this is when they come back. They travel four, five hundred, six, I think it was more like six or seven hundred miles. It takes a long time to do that. And it's very dangerous. It's not like hopping on the interstate, you know, and just driving along, you know, six or seven hundred miles. They took them months to get here and they're packed down and they're loaded. And by the way, it's thousands of people. It's 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 50 plus thousand people, maybe closer to 100,000 people. But there's they're numbered at least around 50,000 that you read about. And they had servants and other things with them. So they come back to Jerusalem and it is a wasteland. There's no temple. There's no houses. They've got to build houses. They've got to build a wall. That's Nehemiah, by the way, who builds the wall. Ezra and what we're reading in here was the priest who was building them up in a spiritual way. And also they're building the temple of God. So in Ezra 3... Let's look at verse 8. It says that now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, which, by the way, there is no house of God yet, but notice how God still sees a house there. (laughs) You say, well, when is the Lord through with the place? The Lord is through with the place when He's through with the place. He's not through with His place, you see? So they're there, and it says in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, that's Joshua, the son of Jezodak, that's a different Joshua now, not the one from way back. And, their rem- and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity in Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. So they get back, they've been ordered by the king, go back, do this, they travel back, and when they get there, they begin to settle in and begin to work and build the house of the Lord. And it says in verse 11, They sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They went up onto the temple mount where Solomon's temple had been. And they dug off and cleared off where all the debris and all the trash and all the stuff that had gathered up for over 70 years after it had been destroyed. And they found the old foundations there and they got the the measurements there that they knew they needed to do and they began to build the foundation that's where you start right when you're building a building you start with the foundation they began to lay the foundation of the house of god this is a glorious moment they feel they feel the burden of glory upon them because god has opened this door and they're going back to build (laughs) but you know there's always the old devil you know he rides to church with you sometimes did you know that (laughs) He might ride to church with you every Sunday. Who knows? The old devil's always going to be there whispering in the ear. Eh, can't be this good. You you can't, you know, grace just can't be that good. It can't be like Brother McNeil said that God saves sinners, enemies. (laughs) It is that good. But as they laid the foundation there, and Zerubbabel, who's in charge of this, and Joshua, who is probably engineering, you know, the process of where things go, 
It says many of the priests and Levites of the fathers who were ancient men, even the old folks traveled back with these folks. Some of these men had to be over a hundred years old because it says that they saw the original house. They had to be over a hundred years old. Now that takes some courage. Some of you may be, you know, past 60, past 70 or whatever, you know, and you think, well, I'm just kind of settled down, settled in. What if they came and said, hey, let's travel back. Let's start building the temple. These folks had some courage, did they not? You're never too old to serve the Lord is the point. It says some of the people, men were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. So you get the picture, they're there and the older folks who'd seen the original temple that was a bigger temple than this one, they were going, oh goodness, it's just not like it used to be. Oh my goodness. And the younger folks are going, hallelujah, praise God, we're back, we're building, praise the Lord, he's opened the door. And you couldn't discern, you know, if you looked across the crowd, there'd be there's going, <laughs> and there'd be those going, <laughs> and, and you know, you would like, everybody's happy, right? No, sorry. The church is made up of sinners. Israel was made up of sinners. So everybody's not always going to be happy. <laughs> Many shouted aloud for joy, and some of the ancient ones cried, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. That's ironic, isn't it? For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. <laughs> they shouted so loud, they rejoiced so much, that the people around heard this. They heard the shout coming from the Temple Mount. And news travels, you know, uh, the old saying, bad news travels fast, good news travels slow. Well, this was good news traveling fast, but it was bad news to some people that did not like the cause of the Lord. And in Ezra, they're on a high, right? They're back. They've got the utensils to put in the house of God. When they get it built, they've laid the foundation. Those poor older fellows were kind of sad, but everybody else just has a mind to work. They're ready to move forward. Everything's going great. And then Ezra 4 comes along and politics gets involved. Some political leaders show up and they say, who told you to come here and build this place? And from that point, they sent a letter to a different king now. It's not Cyrus anymore. Short period of time, Cyrus goes off the throne. A new king's on the throne and the work ceases. Are y'all listening to me this morning? The work ceases for 18 years. You ever been to a great church meeting, got on a high like we did yesterday? Oh, the Lord's burdening me. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then something just comes and puts your flame out on Monday or Sunday. <laughs> and you think, ah, I don't want to stir the waters. I don't want to make a big deal. We're all like that for 18 years. Lord willing, I was thinking about this. Lord willing, if Brother Heath and Sister Madison have this, this baby in November... You understand, if, if we lived back then, if that baby was born when this time happened for this baby, until that baby turns 18, would never know anything about building in the house of God. It's a generation. Y'all understand me? For a generation, they shut down building the house of God when they knew they were under the order of God and they knew they were under the order of the king. But politics got involved. They got distracted by politics. Are you distracted by politics today? You can't hardly help but be, because that's all you hear about on the squawk box, all the time, on the phone. Shut that phone off. If that's what you're getting, is you're getting updates about how many numbers, how many people have died, how, how many bad things they're doing, shut it off. 
Turn it off. It's vexing you and you don't even know it. It's preventing you, like these days here, from building the house of God. Listen to me. Matthew Henry, who wrote three or four hundred years ago, I love reading his commentary from time to time, and this just jumped out at me. Matthew Henry said, this was a long time ago, he said, at some periods the church has suffered more by the coldness of its friends than by the heat of its enemies. Friends of the church, has your heart grown cold? We're not talking about 18 years. But to this very day, we're talking about a one-year period. If you don't think that Satan has had his way, I'm fixing to show you some verses that apply directly to us today and apply to them back then. If you don't think that Satan has had his way in the last year, then you need to think again. Because you know the old saying, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. If you're not moving forward, you by, by just standing still, you're moving backwards. Okay? At some periods, the church has suffered more by the coldness of its friends than by the heat of its enemies. Eighteen years passed by. Can you imagine how many times... Zerubbabel, the man who felt the power and the burden of the glory of God on his life and was in charge of those vessels that needed to go back into the temple. That prince of Judah, can you imagine how many times he passed by the holy mount and he saw up there that little foundation that they laid? I wonder how many times he wept. I wonder how many times he shook his head and said, oh, we had it started so good. It was going so good. Let me just tell you something. In 1999... When the Lord led me by His mercy and by His grace to this little neck of the woods. Oh, I tell you, I felt the burden of God. I wondered, I thought, is there anybody that's going to be out there that wants to hear about the truth of salvation by grace? (laughs) Well, you're living proof of that here today. And I want you to know that my burden for the spreading of that truth and for the sharing of that with God's burdened children who are disgruntled on the traditions of man and the things of the world and the things that are going on. And I just don't think this is right. I don't think we should be doing this. I don't think we should be doing this. I tell you, my burden has never been greater. And after a year of Satan having his way... Even after that, and we look and we see we have a baptism today. You look at the faces that are around you, you think, where did that person come from? I tell you, that's a testimony to the grace of God. It's a testimony to the Lord that we should continue on building the house of God. You hear me? We've all been scared. We've all been afraid. 18 years passes. And you know what? To some degree or another, you know, they didn't die. They didn't starve to death. But they also didn't experience what they could have experienced as Haggai, 18 years later, comes along and he begins to preach. Now, I'm going to read you from Ezra 4 while you're there, but we're going to be looking at Haggai and Zechariah for the rest of the time. In Ezra 4, in verse 1, it says, Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. You see, these men weren't sitting back. You know, th- these were bivocational prophets. You hear me? <laughs> these prophets were out there working with them on the building of the house of God and the building back of Jerusalem, in addition to preaching the word of God to these people. And guess what? Verse 3 of Ezra 4, it says, At the same time came to them Tatniah, governor on the side of the river, and Shethar and their companions, and said to them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Here comes the politics again. (laughs) 
Then they said, what are the names of the men that make this building? What if somebody from the government walked in here today and said, what's your name? We need to report back to our superior that you're up here preaching something that kind of goes against what either everybody else is preaching or against what we believe or whatever. That's what these guys do. They come and say, give us the names. We're going to tattletale. So they get the name Zerubbabel, they get the name Joshua, they get the name Haggai, they get the name Zechariah, and they take those names and they go back and take it to this different king, which is King Darius. He's now been, they've been through about three or four kings in that 18 years. Remember, they laid the foundation, they stopped working, 18 years passes, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah begin to preach, and they, these men come along and they take down the names. Look at verse 5. It says, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius, and when they returned answer by letter, and then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. And so Haggai, the first chapter, is what Haggai stood up and did. And in Haggai, the first chapter, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, don't forget this, the next things we're going to talk about are going to be the sixth month, the seventh month, the eighth month, the ninth month, and the eleventh month. A lot happens in this six month period of time. These prophets are wearing it out and they're building the house of God. And it says in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month and the first day of the month came the word of, of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel. And if you'll count, you'll find seven different sections where the word of God comes to Zerubbabel, the servant builder. And he said, no, basically, this is what he says. We're not going to read the chapter, but this is basically what Haggai says. Your houses that you're living in look great. You've taken care of your house. You know, you got the pretty drapes up. You got, you know, this fine looking home. And look at the condition of the house of God. Now, you want to translate that into today. Okay. You know, a lot of us, you know, we've. Especially last year when we were really scared and we quarantined for a few weeks. You know, we went to our homes, we kind of hid out and so forth. You see, you know, we, we, our homes are in good shape. I've walked through this fellowship hall over here and I've looked at it and I've wept because I thought this fine fellowship hall that we have over here, we ought to be eating in there. We ought to be fellowshipping and visiting. You see, that's building the house of God. Hey, guy stands up. He's not afraid. I'm, I'm, I love you. I love every one of you. But I'm not afraid to say these things to you because God's burdened me to say them to you. Haggai says, your houses are in great shape. But look at my house, the Lord says. My house has been neglected. Rise up and build. And you know what Zerubbabel did? He rose up and built. You know what Joshua did? They rose up and built. 18 years. Boy, God is good, is He not? You know, God could have said, just flicked them off like a fly. I'm done with you. I'm done with you because you didn't build. You started good. You didn't continue. No, He was patient. God's so patient with us, is He not? There's never a time in our lives. I don't care if you're 90. I don't care if you're 5. I don't care if you're 10. I tell you, our God is patient. <laughs> he's a good God and He loves us and He's patient with us. And in this sixth month, in the second year of Darius, even when the politicians came and said, who gave you the authority? Who told you to do this? Zerubbabel said, our God told us to do this. See, Zerubbabel's got it in his head now. It wasn't just Cyrus the king giving them authority to come and do this. No, it was God telling Cyrus the king to send them back and build. He's not working for Cyrus. He's not working for Darius. He's not working for the other kings that intervene. He's working for God. And he continues to build. In the seventh month, Haggai, the second chapter, in uh, verses 1 through 9, we have here, after they laid the foundation again, they laid the foundation of the house of God again. And I'm sure maybe some of those men may have still been around. Who knows? 18 years may have passed and they may all be gone. But here they laid the foundation of the house of God again. 
And, uh, and Haggai stands up and he says, tell Zerubbabel, verse 2 of Haggai 2. He says, tell Zerubbabel, tell Joshua, who is left among you that saw this house in her former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as nothing? Obviously, there were some people left that had seen the original house. Maybe they saw the foundation that was laid 18 years before too. And he says, there's some of you that look at this and say it's nothing. And, and Haggai goes on and he says, this house is going to be greater than the house that Solomon built. You know why? Because the Son of God is going to walk in it. God's feet are going to walk in this temple. Let me tell you something. You could build a mansion... <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I think about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, in, the, in one of the movies, it tells you that he built a mansion of chocolate for some Indian prince. You remember that? This Indian prince wanted a, mount, a mansion of chocolate. It was this ornate chocolate mansion, you know. Of course, it's all fictional, of course. But that prince is sitting there in his mansion of chocolate on a hot day. It begins to melt around him. You could build a mansion of chocolate if that's your poison. You could build a mansion of gold. You could build a mansion of silver. You could build a mansion any way you want to. But I'm going to tell you, you could build a shack out in the woods somewhere on the backside of nowhere. And if the Lord's feet trod in that shack, I tell you, it's the greatest shack. It's the greatest place it's ever been. It's all about where the Lord trods. And Haggai says, you need to get it in perspective. You think that other temple was great. That, this temple, you cannot compare that temple to this temple because Jesus Christ is going to walk in this temple. He says, I will shake the earth. That's verse 7. I will shake the nations and the desire of nations was come, will come and I will fill this house with glory. The verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You see? The Lord, Haggai says the Lord's Son is going to come to this house. It's going to be greater than any house that's ever been. So you know what they do? They get to building. <laughs> and in, in the eighth month, this is, by the way, that was the seventh month. Sixth month, Haggai begins to start preaching. They start building. <clears throat> they don't worry about politics. They keep on building. They work for the Lord. In the eighth month, uh, the seventh month, Haggai right there says this temple is going to be greater than the one that was before because the Son of God's coming there. In the, ninth, uh, the, in the eighth month, Zechariah, the first chapter, just a page over, this is where Zechariah prophesies and he tells them, he says, don't be like your fathers. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be uh, hard-headed. That's the eighth month. And then in the ninth month, you go back to Haggai 2 in verse 10. It says in the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, that he continues to preach to them. About the house of God, this is where he says, this is where he says, my servant Zerubbabel. My servant Zerubbabel. And in the 11th month, if you want to turn over a page to Zechariah, the first chapter, beginning around verse 6, for several chapters, this is the 11th month prophecy of Zechariah. I want you to look at verse 8. Zechariah 1 and 8. You're going to say, what in the world does this mean? I said the same thing. <laughs> in the 11th month of the second year of Darius, it says that, that Zechariah saw a vision by night. Listen to me carefully. And behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. That's like a bottom where there's a swamp. And behind him there were red horses speckled in white. And you say, what in the world? And I said the same thing. Read on. Then said I, you know, by the way, Zechariah said the same thing. Oh, my Lord, what are these? <laughs> what are these horses? Who is this man riding this horse sitting in the, uh, amidst the myrtle trees? And the angel that talked with me said unto him, I will show thee what these be. Now you listen carefully. 
And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth. And behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. You say, what in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Verse 15. The Lord says, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, at rest. Basically what this means is, don't miss this please. Because there was no work going on at the house of God, the whole world was at rest. I'm telling you, for the last year, Satan has just kind of breathed a sigh of relief. Whew, I finally got them all stopped. There's churches to this very day in California that have not resumed meeting. I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, when the world is at ease, when the world is at rest, and the kingdom of God ceases to build, it says the Lord is displeased. That's what Zechariah tells the prophet, uh, tells Zerubbabel. For the last year, it hadn't been 18 years, praise God. But for the last year, in one sense or another, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody individually, and I'm not pointing to any church individually. But collectively, can we say that the world has been at ease? They've, they've found a way to kind of shut up the churches, kind of keep them closed, keep the doors closed. I praise God for you. There's not a Sunday that we haven't met. Amen. <laughs> You know, there, you find a way. You can find a way. It might be by transmitter. It might be by going off the back porch. I'll tell you, it might be someday that we have to hide and do that. Who knows? But don't ever forget who you work for. You don't work for the United States government. You don't labor for the president or the Congress or the Senate. You don't labor for those. Be good citizens. Do your duty. But you work for a higher king, a higher government, and that is the government of the Lord. Zerubbabel was no different than we are. In our days, it's a pandemic. You know, next week it may be something totally different, right? Brother Neil, there may be another pandemic come along. I, I feel like there probably will be. But in these days, it was political pressure. And by the way, if you can't see the relevance of that today, you know, they're framing laws by mischief every day. <laughs> and don't think for one second that it's not targeting the people of God to shut up the kingdom of God and keep the ministers of God and the people of God from serving God. That's the whole purpose of Satan, see? To keep God's people from being free and from enjoying building the kingdom of God. God says, I am not. You said, what were those horses? Let me be real clear. He said, what were those horses that, that Zechariah saw and that man sitting under the myrtle tree? That man was Jesus Christ sitting on that horse. And he had sent his servants out throughout the world, the entire world, to look and see. And the world is at ease. But God had his eyes on one place. You guessed it. On Jerusalem. Are they building? Are they doing what I asked them to do? They've been afraid. They've been scared. But the time now is to build. The time is to build. One last verse of scripture. I'm out of time. Look, I got to give you a couple verses of scripture so I, you can see what their ultimate incentive was. In Zechariah 3 and 8, I want you to notice, and this is a precursor for next week when we talk about the last and greatest servant. Notice we're building up to the time when Jesus comes, the greatest servant of God. Here now, this is Zechariah 3 and 8. Here now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. Capitalized, B-R-A-N-C-H. That's Jesus Christ. 
You see, this is a precursor. The Lord is saying, my servant, the branch, the son of God, the, uh, the rod of Jesse, the line of the tribe of Judah is going to come and walk in this temple. So build, build, build. And in Zechariah 6, it says, uh, excuse me, Zechariah, um, in Zechariah, the fourth chapter, in the same prophecy, he says this in verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, This is the word of the Lord, and is Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, you're not doing this in your own might. You're not doing it by your own power, but you're doing it by the Spirit of God. I tell you, years ago when I first started ministering and laboring and spreading the truth and having Bible studies and trying to preach in different places anywhere anybody would invite, trying to share the truth of grace, I had an old brother that I loved dearly. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He wasn't a member here at this church. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Tim, you better slow down because you're going you're gonna to burn out. <laughs> and I said, well, brother, it's better to burn out than to just fade away. <laughs> I want you to know my zeal is not diminished for spreading the truth of God. My body may be a little bit older and my, my hair may be a little bit grayer, but my zeal for serving God and building the house of God has not diminished. I hope that yours has not either. <laughs> See, the ultimate incentive, listen to me. The ultimate incentive is Jesus is coming. He's coming. He says, Zerubbabel, who art thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. And verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. Would that not be the most encouraging thing you had ever heard if you were in the midst of a project? Zerubbabel laid the foundation of this house and Zerubbabel is going to finish it. Will you build with me? I'm asking you. Will you build with me? The time to build the kingdom of God, the time to build the church of God is now. It's now. There's no delay. I had one Bible study for the college age guys during the fall. One. Do you know how many nights I laid awake in my, in my sleep and thinking, Lord, help me. <laughs> we used to have four or five. Now I'm trying to have one a month. Maybe two a month. I tell you, this thing has set me on fire for building the kingdom of God. Has it you? Listen. Parents in the home. Individuals. <laughs> Married couples, single, whatever it is, it's time to build the house of God. It's time to share the truth of God. It's time to love one another in the house of God. It's time to fellowship in the house of God. It's time to, to sing, preach, and pray, and fellowship. It's time to do that. It is that time. Haggai said it was that time when there was much more political pressure on those, the, those folks at that time. Zechariah said that it was time to build the house of God. And brothers and sisters, it's time to build the house of God. He said, what can I do? I was pulling away from work the other day, and I got a call from a dear friend of mine. And he said, Brother Tim, have you read what they've done up in Washington? Have you, have you read this? Have you read that? I don't remember what it was, because it's always usually something bad, right? <laughs> something we don't agree with or whatever. It's contradictory to the Word of God. Let me say it that way. I said, yeah, brother. I said, yeah. He said, what do we do? Do we march? Do we pick it? Do we, you know, what do we do? I said, brother, and by the way, he was on the deer stand whenever he texted me. That's a good old brother right there. Read, he was reading his Bible on the deer stand, and he'd, he'd heard about some things that troubled him, and he reached out to me. I said, that's my kind of guy right there. <laughs> I said, listen to me. Go home to your family and teach your children the Word of God. The Congress and the Senate and the government is not going to teach your children what, you, what they need to know. You've got to do that. <laughs> 
Parents, go home and teach your children the Word of God. Love them. Instruct them on the issues that are before us. It's exactly what they did in these days. God's people are still burdened. God's people should not be at ease. They should be ready to serve the Lord. What can you do? You can love your family. Love your friends. Share the truth with them. Live the truth. And if you haven't done this, one of the best things that you can do, the best thing if you haven't done it, is to make that profession before God and men. And as we've seen here today through Brother Wayne's great example, be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, in the name of my servant, the branch, Jesus Christ.